Good evening, or good, thank you. Oh, goodness, this is not a sheer unless there's some ice. Ah, ah, get, get in there, get in there. Get in there, get in there. Get in there. good. <laughs> thank you. So, I'll say a very special thank you to our sponsors for tonight. To thank, thank you, to thank Jonas and Kaplan. Steve, you have a call coming in to thank uh, to thank and Kaplan for sponsoring tonight Le'ilui Nishmas his father Yoel Ben Yitzchak whose yard site was where's Yonason right there right. oh it's past Monday night yeah past Monday night so for those of you who remember Yonason's father Papa Ron he was uh, a very 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 special neshama who used to love coming to the shul whenever we had like a dinner and he would just Right, his table would usually be like right over where the air wall is. And he would usually just sit there with a bottle of Woodford Reserve. Right? And would and would Mamish just like take in the beauty of his Mishpacha, the beauty of the Kihila. It was such a such a special man and such an incredible Sparcha Hashem to have known him and to have had him in our lives. I know that a void has been left by his passing in the captain Mishpach and certainly in our Kihila as well. We hope that the merit of our Tamatur, the Nisham will have an Aliyah and the family in Nechama. We also thank you on a learner. Thank Yona for sponsoring tonight Le'ilei Nishmas's great-grandmother Dina Bas Pasha whose yard site was last week so also that's Mrs. Dina Gerber so for some of the uh, veterans of the shul you know that Mrs. Gerber was like the matriarch of the shul. She was a woman who never missed davening. She was a woman who, she had a better track record at davening than I did. And <laughs> ne- never missed the sheer, whatever it was, and just always such an incredible and overwhelming simcha sachayim. Just always such optimism, such a smile, mamish learning and steiging until the end. A really um, 
exceptional person. So it's a great schos to learn in the merit of these two incredible neshamas. Semir Hashem. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the neshamas will have an aliyah and the families in the Rebosu, with that, let us begin. So actually, I had a havamila tonight about what to do, being that uh, this is Purim. Uh, well, it's almost Purim, Semir Hashem. And I was thinking about, you know, doing something a little bit like in Yonin Dioma. And I just want to say next week, next week there's not going to be sheer. I have a very good excuse. Chad Kaplan is getting married. A week from tonight, so I'm going to be uh, in Tinek, New Jersey with Chad. So I, so... And I know that also, I also we, we left off last week, you know, in the middle of a very pivotal piece. I think for many of us, what we did last week in the Piagets now was probably one of the most moving things that we've certainly done in the Sefer, maybe even one of the most moving things that many of us have learned in our entire lives. And so I figured because we left off kind of in the middle of something over here, so, so Lemaisa again, so Lemaisa again, that we would go ahead and pick up from where we left off. So we left off, we left off um, by, Os- we actually began last week, Osiyo Dalit. We began Osiyo Dalit. Pouring coffee, is that a... Okay. That's for everybody else. All right, so let's begin. And of course, I'll say, you know, we dedicate our learning this week to the... It's going to be page 33. Page 33, Amir Hashem. Osiyudal. We only got... We, we actually only got a little couple of lines into Osiyudal last week. So we'll say... So we'll also, we dedicate our learning to the three neshamas taken from us from Cloud Yisrael this week in the two different terror attacks. And it's... It's, uh, it's an overwhelming... It's an overwhelming thing. It's an overwhelming thing because the truth is like a yid tries to be besimcha. But it's hard to be besimcha when you're always confronted with the realities of just the tragic circumstances and nature of Klal Yisrael's existence. Feels like not a day goes by that there's not some type of tragic circumstance, whether it's in Eretz Yisrael, whether it's in our communities. communities. And, you know, the job of a Yid, like Rabbi Nachman said, is mitzvah gedol lios besimcha tamid. So you ever wonder what the Rebbe meant by that? Right, Rabbi Nachman, perhaps one of the most famous names, Rabbi Nachman. It's a great mitzvah, it's a great mitzvah to be besimcha, to be happy, tamid, at all times. So I'll tell you what he didn't mean. I don't think he meant, like when you pull up to a red light in Eretz Yisrael, right, and there's the Na-Na-Nachman van right next to you. I don't know that he had in mind that at a red light a bunch of guys jump out and start jumping on top of the van. It's not a bad, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. I, 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 don't, I, don't, know, I don't know that's what the Rebbe had in mind, I don't know. But I will say, but when Rabbi Nachman said Tamid, what Rabbi Nachman meant was that there is a mitzvah to find simcha in life, even in the midst of tzara. You might say to yourself, that's an inherent contradiction. One heart can simultaneously feel two emotions, while the Jew defies that reality. And the Jew has the ability to live in two spaces at once. That I, my heart could be broken because of the incredible and overwhelming tzaras of my people. And my heart could be brimming with joy and with happiness because I get to welcome in Erev Shabbos with such a Hele Gechevra. And we get to learn Torah the Piazetzna. And it's not a contradiction. I could be filled with happiness because I have the great schus to learn the Rebbe's Torah with all of these tzaddikim. And I could be heartbroken because of the karbanos of Klav Yisrael. So however, that's the duty of the Jew, to live simultaneously. B'simcha and B'tzara. Hashem. But the day will come where it won't be 50-50. And the day will come where it won't be an equal split between Saras and Simchas. But how the day will come in Mirat Hashem. 
where our hearts, where our lives, where Klai will be filled with overwhelming, unending, and perpetual simcha. Amen. 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 So we'll see with that, let's, let's begin. So we left off on page 33. We left off in Osiodalid. We actually left off two, four, six. Actually, actually, just count from the bottom. Two, four, six, uh, eight, eight lines up, eight lines up from the bottom. So remember again, just to, you know, it's, it's funny. Sometimes like when we review what we learned last week, what I've discovered is, you know, how long does it take to review what we learned? The whole class. Like, like, or so, so, so I could take the whole class. Or sometimes you could actually summarize like the Piaget's points in 90 seconds. You could summarize. Remember, what did we learn last week? We learned last week, we reinforced the idea that there is more to what we see than what we see with our physical eyes. Right? The whole point that the Piaget is trying to reinforce, that our Rebbe is trying to reinforce over and over, is we often define reality by what you can see. But it is so important to accept that there's another dimension of reality beyond what we're able to see with our physical eyes. I keep going back. It is not like probably the seventh year that I mentioned this. Remember again the Piaget's description of Shalashudis, right? What's happening at Shalashudis? The Ribono Shalolam with his chariot is literally again running through Shalashudis. The Malachi Ashar is everyone's there by Shalashudis. I, but I can't see it with my eyes. Yeah. There are things you can't see with your eyes, but they're no less real. They're no less real because some things you see with your eyes, some things you have to see with your neshama. And the Piaget's whole avoda is to try to get us to see without our eyes, to try to get us to see the deeper spiritual world that exists all around us. If you remember, again, that's the spiritual world where there's godliness in everything. The Rebbe Shalom is in every granule of sand, right? He's in every, in every little piece of nature. He's in every little beam of sun. And if you have the right vision, then a person ultimately is able to actually see the presence of the Rebbe Shalom in everything. That was piece one. Piece two, I will say, remember again, Chazar from Nasi, what was piece two? I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, right? And an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement. That I'm right, I would say, I think for many of us, that was like the most powerful piece of last week's shear, an acknowledgement of where I'm not holding it, like Ramat pointed out. And maybe, maybe I don't have immediate plans to get there. Right? In other words, I, I, I know we're, I know we're in, 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 the, in a vacuum I want to get to. And I know, if I'm honest with myself, where I am. And I recognize that there's a big gap in between those two areas. And I'm also honest with myself that I may not actually be running towards that goal. Because... I like my buddies, right? Right, because right, because there are things in my life that I enjoy doing that I'm not. I'm not ready to give up. Things that I'm not really ready to change. And the Piaget says that's okay. Well, say isn't that affirming? That's okay. The the icker the icker is personalistic honesty. That's the icker. See, I will say the worst thing in life. Do you know what Chesh Baruch Hu wants us more than anything? I want to ask you, what does Chesh Baruch Hu want? Right, Ma Hashem Mevakish. What does Chesh Baruch Hu want from us? Love your fellow Jew, right? Such a chabadnik, right? Such a chabadnik, excellent. Right, right? Beautiful, the Rebbe is proud. Right? Absolutely, right? To love your fellow Jew, good. What else? Right, what else? Right, what else? What else? Lalechas bizracha, right? Vedavaktabo, divine emulation. Beautiful, what else? Your heart. Your heart, right? Well, say, just wants more than anything. And if you think about it, by the way, it's the cornerstone of every relationship, which is, it's a word I made up, but I love it, genuinity. Right? It's a totally made up word, right? Or genuine kite. In other words, let's say, what, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants, Baruch Hu wants, is for me to be genuine. 
They will say, what do you need in order to create relationships in life? You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be genuine. What we called, based on last week's parasha, tocho kibaro. You have to be a person who's genuine. If you're genuine, then again, you'll have a good marriage. If you're genuine, you'll have a good relationship with your children. If you're genuine, you'll have good friendships. And if you're genuine, that's all the Kaddish Baruch Hu asks. Because Rebbe said, all the Kaddish Baruch Hu, what does it mean to be genuine? Hashem just wants you to be honest about what I am and what I'm not. You see, it's amazing. You know what I find so liberating about learning in general, Chassidus, but specifically the Piyajatzna? We spend so much time justifying and making excuses for things we do wrong. I, I told you that, Masha. I told you the not me story. Did I tell you the not me story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The soda, the wine story? Wine story? Yeah. Okay. Good on, it was like one of my best stories. I'm making so many... I'll tell it to you again. Just like, like, it was Daf. It was Daf Yomi. It was Daf Yomi. It was Daf... I'm sorry? Okay. So this... this, this okay. So this, this took place... This took place at <laughs> this took place at Kiddush at Kiddush a little while ago. Kiddush like a number a number of months ago. I make Kiddush. I make Kiddush. Right after Kiddush, a guy literally walks right into me. Wine spills everywhere. The guy says, "Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me." And I was so I was so taken aback by it. first of all. I'm like, you're an attorney, aren't you? Right? You're an attorney, right? <laughs> hey, not me, not me. Hey, so I'll say, so, so it was so striking because I, I, it was so disarming because this guy thought like the whole cop was the It's okay, accidents happen. You spilled wine on me. All right, fine. Worse, worse things have happened in the rabbinates, right? Then, then people going out and bobbing into you with a cup of wine. I mean, it was good wine, so I was a little upset about that, right? But, but, but. It was so interesting. To me, it was such a, such a lesson, such a lesson that so often in life we spend so much time trying to say, not me, not me, it's not my fault, it's not my fault. Either it's not my fault because it's really okay what I did, I'm justifying what I did, I'm explaining away what I did, I didn't really do what you think I did, I might have done it, but I should have done it, I could have done it, and we make so many excuses. I don't believe in this, this is not my ashkafa, it's okay according to my ashkafa, da, 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 da. instead of just saying, Listen, I am an imperfect being, and as such, I do some bad stuff. Just own it. Just own it. That's the genuinity. That's the genuine kaitech who just wants. It's okay. The Ramshan doesn't expect me to be perfect. It's, it's, it's so liberating. I don't have to be perfect. All I need to do is be honest. Because the problem is, when a person's not honest, what happens? What happens? Or what doesn't happen when a person's not honest? You can't grow. If you're not going to be honest about who and what you are, then there's absolutely no runway ahead of you for any kind of takeoff. If you're honest, it's okay. You might be at the beginning of the runway and the plane isn't fueled and the flight, you know, the flight crew is not even on. So that plane, that personalistic plane is not going anywhere. It's going anywhere. But at least when you're honest, you have a runway in front of you. When you're not, sorry? Say that, say that again. I did. That's why I'm here tonight. We're going to have an extra, we're going to have, we're going to have extra long share. Extra long share. I've got all night. I've got all night. <laughs> no, the mayor, the mayor, can, can I just say something? All, all, all kidding aside, all kidding aside, it, it really is the MS. In other words, the worst thing a person could do, and like, you know, sometimes it, it's happened, it's happened where somebody makes a mistake in a marriage. 
right? And what's the reflexive reaction when making a mistake in a marriage? Is to double down. It's to double down. I'm going to show you why it wasn't a mistake. I'm going to show you why I'm not wrong. Not only, that, not only, that, not only am I going to do that, but if you're married long enough, even I'm going to show you why I'm not wrong. I'm in fact the tzaddik, and you're the Russia for thinking I did something wrong. <laughs> and there's all of this effort, there's all of this time, there's all of this. Meanwhile, you're still going to be wrong. You're still going to be in trouble. And all you did is you caused problems in your shalom bias. As opposed to saying, yeah, uh, own it. Own it. A really big mistake. Really big mistake. Really big mistake. That's it. I own it. So I'll say, so again, you might have to suffer through some of the, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? You, okay, fine. But you save yourself so much time and so much agmas nefesh because trying to, to engage in justifications of things that are inherently flawed is an exercise in futility and frankly, it's just exhausting. And same thing in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Odir Shalom says, just, just own it. It's okay. Just own it. And Stupia Jetson is saying, I know that there is this vision of the world where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in everything, but I don't see it. And why don't I see it? Why don't I see it? Remember again, Abosai? So step one, there is this different level of vision. Step two, acknowledgement that I don't see it. Step three, why don't I see it? Because I have distanced myself from Hashem. You'll ask, how have I distanced myself from Hashem? So the Piaget's deposits, that's hate. That's hate. So this last thing again, that's hate. Remember, we often think that the, that the most terrible byproduct of hate is onesh, is the punishment, but that's not true. Onesh could be very easily removed. The most terrible byproduct of hate is the fact that now there's a distance. There's a richuk. There's a distance between myself and my father. That whereas once I was like a son, and now I'm like an eved at a distance. That's the power of hate. And so because I distance myself, therefore I lack my vision. And Abosai, this is the part of his personalistic ownership, where I recognize that every single time I make a bad decision in life, I distance myself from the ribano shalom. That's it. And because I have distanced myself, therefore, I don't see a lot of the things that the Rebbe is teaching me. So also with that, let's continue. He says, Varak. I'm sorry. Uchushetirba. Lahasmin. By the way, you're gonna also going to see what's incredible about this. Is there's a, a, an incredible amount also of overlap between Mesilas Yisharim and, and the Piagetna. So we'll say we're picking up two, four, six, eight lines up from the bottom. Last two words on the line. Uchishetirba. Lahasmid v'likboa machshava zubemochach. We'll say, and when you, let's listen to the Lashon over here. Kishetirba. When you increase, right? When you increase. Lahasmid. What's Hasmid? Lahasmid? So they're right. Hasmada. Good. I'm sorry. Effort. Effort or consistency, right? Consistency, right? Right, like a carbon tomid, like a carbon tomid, right? So when I consistently reinforce this thought, then I will say, which thought is he referring to? Which thought? So the truth is, it's the three that are one, which is, remember again, it's one thought, but it's made up of three parts. Part one of the thought is, there's a whole other dimension that I can't see with my physical eyes that exists. Number two, I'm not there yet. Number three, the reason I'm not there yet is because my, I'm, I'm not there yet because of me. I'm not there yet because my actions have distanced to me. And I will say, I want to point out, this is chasidos. Remember again, the goal over here is when the Piazetna says, I've distanced me. We're going to say, we'll say, the goal over here is not to make you feel bad about yourself. This is chasidos. You can go to an chasidos here, sorry. Go to an chasidos if you want to feel bad about yourself. Right? But I will say, but, but again, there's plenty of shurim like that. I will say, but again, 
the Piagetzna is building us up. So remember, when he says that I have chosen to distance myself, I will say, what's the power of that statement? Remember, we spoke about this. What's the power of that statement? If I have distanced myself through my actions, then what? Then I can become close. See, that's the power that's here. Like Rabbi Nachman says, if you believe that you have the power to destroy, believe that you have the power to rebuild. So that's the Piagetzna saying, if I believe that I have distanced myself through my actions, then I have the ability to bring myself back close to rehabilitate that relationship as well. I will say a person has to constantly reinforce this one thought, this three-pronged one thought. There's a world that I don't see that I want to see with my soul. I'm not yet there, but I'm not there because I have distanced myself from my father with my negative actions. And the Rebbe says, when you reinforce this, he says, when you reinforce this, listen to this, this is incredible. The Piyajetzna says, if you keep on consistently reinforcing this thought, you can force yourself to rewire your thinking. You could force yourself to rewire your thinking. I will say, now, what do you mean you could force yourself to rewire your thinking? So I will say, get ready for this. It will say it's incredible. You know, what's that locha by Gin? A famous Gemara. The Gemara says that if a man does not want to give his wife a get, a divorce document, and the Basin has decided that in fact she's entitled to a get, so what recourse does the Basin have? What recourse does the Basin have? They could beat up the husband and they, they literally they beat him until he says, okay, you know what? I changed my mind. I want to give the get. Hey, which I will say, by the way, is an incredibly powerful tool of coercion, which, you know, they asked Moshe Feinstein, he said to Moshe Zatzal, will there ever be a thing called Minog America? Right? In other words, if you look, if you look in the Euro- pre-war European communities, different communities had different Minhagim. There was Minhag Lito, right? Lithuanian Minog, Minog Poland, right? Hungarian Jews said, so they asked Moshe, will there ever be like a Minog America? And Moshe said, no. He said, no, because he said, in America, what happens is no one's really interested in being part of one cohesive, larger, you know, American Jewry Kehillah, because again, America is like a transplant of a lot of things, and people, people are trying, you know, to hold on to their own stuff, which there's a beauty in that because there's a variety. What we lose is a sense of cohesive community. And when you have cohesive community, there are certain mechanisms that may be at the disposal of a based in that work in an organized community. There were many, there were many fewer Aguna problems in the times of the Gimara. And that's because they were able to beat up husbands to be able to give a get, to give a get. Now, we'll say, now I, I'm, so now, the Piyajetna says, now, why does that, we'll say, right, the most famous cash on this is a get, a divorce document has to be given with the consent of the husband. So if you're beating up the husband and he can't take any more beating, so he's saying it's coercion. It's coercion. I'll say this was a big discussion about the get laws in New York about coercion. Get does not work if it's coerced. But I don't understand. It's an inherent contradiction. You're telling me you could beat him up until he says, okay, I'll give it. But yet coercion invalidates a get. So then how does it work to beat him up? To which the Gemara says, Shalachin mo'elas amira shihibikfia. So we'll say, why does it work? He's getting beaten up. And he says, you know what? I see the light. I see the light. I realize the error in my ways. I want to give my wife a get. Why does that work? He says, Mipnei shebe'emes ratzel nafshel shal Yisrael hu la'asos kemitzvah Hashem. They will say, because deep down, what does every person want to do? Deep down, every person wants to do the ratzel Hashem. 
Deep down, every single person just wants to fulfill the will of God. I just want to live in harmony. Yes? It's like, why can't that logic work if So you could, because you can't, because you can't hit people, right? Because right, because because first of all, right, correct. That would be a pretty dangerous uh, president. But Chad, what I would tell you is, what you can do is, you're allowed to seize property. So you can't knock a guy out. I'm sorry, right? But but you could take a snowblower. You know what I'm saying? Like like you, you could seize property if somebody owes you money, which is kind of like a similar idea. In other words, why could I seize property at the end of the day? Because I believe that a person should really want to pay back the debt. But there's all things that are getting in the way. Physical violence, right? Physical coercion is really reserved for this type of case. And remember, again, the stakes are much higher over here than if someone owes you money. You know, this is about a woman's ability to remarry and go on with her life. So says at the end of the day, right? Why is why does this work? And it's a very simple, simple. It's a profound cheshbon. He says because at the end of the day, who commits Hashem. I will say, what does a Jew want to do at the end? More than anything, what does a Jew want to do? A Jew wants to live in conformance with the will of God. That's what a Jew wants. Deep down, if you ask me, what, what do I want out of life? I want to live in conformance with the will of God. I. so what happens? Rak, shachitsonios, gufo, mono. You know what gets in the way? You know what gets in the way? My physicality. My physicality gets in the way. My pettiness, my stinginess, right? My cynicism, my physicality. Most exactly what we're learning in, exactly what we're learning in Mesiyah Sisharn. Exactly the same idea in Kiddusha. Right? A person... A person yearns to be Kaddish, a person yearns to be holy. What gets in the way of his Kiddusha? Ultimately, again, it's Chumriyos, the Ramchal calls it. It's physicality. It's physicality. So Kofin Oso Achi and he works. Why? Because we believe deep down every single person wants to do that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants them to do. Just sometimes I stand in my own way. Sometimes I am the obstacle. I am the roadblock to my own self-development. And therefore, again, if we kind of beat down, quite literally, the physicality a little bit, as nafsho omeris So I'll say when you beat down the physicality a little bit, then what? Then suddenly again, the ruchnios, the spiritual part of a person is able to come out and able to be dominant. I'll say, I'll point out to you, the maral, as a beautiful idea, the maral says that a person is at their holiest state when they're sick. And I will say, this informs, by the way, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of discussion, especially contemporary, it's not new discussions, old discussions, but especially contemporarily about like end of life decisions within Judaism. And perhaps one of the most dangerous words that's often just bantered around is quality of life. And quality of life is a term that is defined by someone just like brain death was defined, right? The Harvard criteria, <laughs> people just got together and decided that these are the criteria for brain death. So people decide, you know, just, just arbitrarily that this is what's called quality of life. So a person like this has a quality of life, a person like this doesn't have a quality of life. And of course, the whole thing is so absurd. Why is it absurd? You know, so listen to this. The Maral says, do you know when a person's neshama is strongest? When they're ill. So the Maral says, when they're ill. Why? Because when I'm healthy, there's this constant struggle between body and soul. Constant struggle, right? And very often, who ends up winning most of those struggles? The body, right? Most of those struggles. When a person is ill, and therefore their physicality is compromised, then a shama is even stronger. Shabbos say, isn't that incredible? 
So those people, so to speak, with the world, who the Welt says, ah, they don't have a quality of life, everything depends on how you define quality of life. And it's quite possible that sometimes people, even in the most incapacitated and, and compromised physical states, have nishamas that are finally operating on all cylinders. My whole life, my whole life, the body has had the upper hand. Now there are these final moments in life where the soul is finally stronger. So I will say, so the point that the, the, the Piaget is making over here is like this. The soul always wants to be the driving force. And the Shama always wants it. But what gets in the way? The goof. The goof. And I will say, the goof can get in the way in a whole variety of different ways. Sometimes it's through taiva, desires, and sometimes it's just short-sightedness, pettiness, hey, callousness. All of these things are manifestations of the physical. And they get in the way of my spiritual self-actualization. So therefore, again, going back to the Gittin case, that's why we feel totally confident beating up the husband until he says, Rotsani, I want to give the get. Why? We don't believe that's coercion. Rosa, what are we allowing him to do? What are we allowing him to do? We're allowing him to actually make the decision he truly wants to make. What's the decision this guy really wants to make? Rosa, what's the decision he wants to make? Right. The decision he really wants to make is to live his life in conformance with halacha. Because that's the decision that every yid wants to make. But what happens? What happens? So in this case, halacha is telling him, you've got to give your wife a get. Deep down, the neshama, we know the neshama wants to live in conformance with halacha. Something's getting in the way. In this case, it's the guf. And it's always the guf. It's always the guf that's getting in the way. The neshama just wants to do the right thing. So therefore, again, it's not coercion to subdue the body, to subdue the body in order to go ahead and allow the soul to drive the Shabbos. We'll I'll just point out to you, we also see the exact opposite of this dynamic, right? Where do you see the exact opposite of this dynamic? The Ramban brings down by Paro, right? The Pasuk says that, par, that Hashem hardened, Hashem Paro, right? Hashem hardened Paro's heart. So why did Hashem harden Paro's heart? So there's two schools of thought. School of thought number one is that Paro, because he abused free choice, therefore the punishment, I will say, if you abuse your free choice too many times, the punishment is, you lose it. But then the Ramban gives a second answer. It says something amazing. Ramban explains that in reality, Paro did not want to let the Jews go. He wanted to defy God. That's what Paro wanted. But what would have happened inevitably? Over time, physically, he would have broken. What did Hashem give him the ability to do? By hardening his heart, Hashem actually kept Paro's Bechira intact, kept his free choice intact, allowed him to ignore all of the physical suffering and make the decisions he truly wanted to make, which was to defy God. So Paro is the exact opposite of what we're describing over here in the Piagetzna. The Piagetzna, I will say for us, and I will say this is so important, if somebody asks you deep down, what do you want? What's the answer? Now you know what's the answer. What's the answer? To perform the Ratzon Hashem. That's what I want. That's what I want. I bet then someone's going to say, Ah, oh, come on. I was with you yesterday. There was a lot of not obeying Ratzon Hashem going on with you yesterday. So what's the answer? What's the answer to that? My goof. My goof. And it's not a contradiction. Sometimes, again, I will say, we spoke about being honest and owning things beforehand. There's also owning things and being honest on the positive end. Deep down, my Ratzon is, I want to perform the Ratzon Hashem. That's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. But things get in the way. So back to the PHS. Things get in the way. He goes on. 
He goes on. He says, "Right, Okishkov Mesachitzonios Gufo as Nafsha Yotzitz Mimasar of On Road Sunny the Gamis Atzmo Yachalishchavas." So we'll say, "Watch this." So if he could beat up the husband in order to extract his inner will, so we'll say, "Effectively, what could I do? I could beat up myself as well." Now, in this case, this is not a physical beating. Rather, I will say, "What is he talking about over here? Cognitive submission, changing the way that I think." Changing the way that I think. And I will say, so what does it mean to change the way that I think? So I will say, if I condition myself to keep thinking a certain way. And I remember again, this is going back to the one thought with three prongs, right? I keep conditioning myself. Part one, the world, page 34, the world is filled. The world is filled with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Rebbe Shalom could be seen in every aspect and facet of existence. As EF remember, that's the first part. The second two parts of that are then what? I'm not there yet. And the reason I'm not there is why? Is why? Why? Because of my own actions. I've distanced myself. So the Piazzesna says, if you keep thinking and reinforcing and thinking this same thought, Azai, Papa, page 34, Azai, I will say, enough time of thinking this and reinforcing this thought will change my thought patterns. I will say, what does it mean that I'm changing my thought patterns here? Right, what's, what's, what do you think? Is When the Piazzesna says, so I understand what he's saying. In other words, you could change the way you think. I will say, I want to point out, this is um, like a shtika countercultural, right? Because we, we live in a society that often says, you know, whatever you think is correct, Right? And there's absolutely no need for you to change it. Right? Because if you think it, it's good. So that's fine, except it's abysmally wrong. Right? It's false. It's sheker. It's the highest form of sheker. No, there are many things I think that are wrong. The great part is I could change the way I think. Oh, isn't this incredible? I could change. I don't know. I have to. I don't know what the therapists think about this. Right? The Piagetsna says, you could, I'm sure we're going to say. This is in line. This is perfectly in line with cognitive behavioral therapy. Let me let me rephrase that. Cognitive behavioral therapy is perfectly in line with the Piaget's. <laughs> right, good, good. Right. And I just want to. 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 I just is it easier to modify behaviors than it is to modify thoughts and feelings? Of course. Of course. But it's the same mechanism. Right? So how do you modify behaviors? How do you modify? All right, I have a behavior I want to change. How do you change it? How do you change it? Just stop. <laughs> Just change your behaviors. In other words, again, if it's something I have to stop doing, then stop doing it. If it's something I have to start doing, then start behavioral modification. The Piagetsna says it's the same thing with Thought. So now I'm learning all about the fact that God is everywhere and it can be seen in everything. Huh, that's interesting because I don't see it. I only see with my eyes. I don't see anything else. There's no problem. Let's begin, let's begin creating new pathways of thoughts, right? Three-pronged thought. There's a world that I don't see with my eyes. There's a spiritual world where Baruch Hu is manifest everywhere. Part one. Part two, I'm not there yet. Part three, why am I not there yet? Because through my negative actions, I've distanced myself from the Ribbon Shalom. So I will say, something amazing happens. If I keep repeating this thought, 
reinforcing this thought. I will say, what's the net effect of that? What's, what's the effect? Right? What's the result of reinforcement of this thought? What's the result? What kind of change? What am I going to stop doing? Right? A self-actualization that's all we write. What am I going to stop doing? I'm going to think twice before I sin. See, I will say, this is the incredible concept of Piazzetzna. In order, <laughs> this is so amazing. This is so amazing. In order to be able to see the rebosha manifest in the rebosha, is, okay, is anyone else feeling this? Like, I, I'm very, yeah. do we run out of liquor? Is that what this is over here? Right, just, I will say, just, just, just praise the Lord. Thank you. Right, so say, so, give me a hallelujah. Right? So, 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 I'm just pointing out something amazing over here. We're so conditioned to think that if you want to achieve greater levels of Kiddusha, I'll say, how do you get there? How do you get there? God awareness. Action. In other words, I have to do something. See, what's fascinating like is in the world of... I'm sorry? Like retraining your brain. Retraining your brain. Like brain elasticity or something. Good. So like in the world of spiritual growth, we often associate growth with positive dynamic activity. You want to grow? Okay. What are you going to do? I'm sorry. Come all Shabbos at the call. Great. All right. I wish I could do that every week, right? I say, what am I going to do? I'm going to learn more. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Beautiful. Beautiful. The Piaget says, the problem with that, not the problem. There's no problem with that approach. That's perfect and it's correct. It's overlooking one major thing, which is, I am inherently Kadosh. I don't have to acquire Kedusha. The Kedusha is in me. Excuse me. So what do I have to do? I have to stop getting in my own way. I have to stop pulling out the rug from under myself. I have to stop self-sabotaging. Because if I look at my life, more often than not, when I don't accomplish the things I want to accomplish, no, it's not because life dealt me a bad hand. That does happen sometimes. It's not because it's, it's because I self-sabotage. I do things that actively undermine my chances of success. You know what we call those things? You know what we call those things? Averos. We call them Averos. What is an Avera? An Avera is an action which pulls the rug out from under me and fundamentally undermines my chances for life success. Why? Because an Avera pulls me away from the very thing that I'm trying each and every moment in life to get close to. I will say, that's what an Avera does. It's like, it's like having the check in your hands. Like having the check in your hands. You're going to the bank. I don't know. Does anybody go to the bank anymore? <laughs> like, right, whatever. Right, guy, you go to the bank and then like, you're there and then you turn back around. Right? And you're there. You have the check. There's a million dollar check sitting in my pocket. I just have to get myself to, no, no, turn around. Go there. Turn around. Turn around. That's what Avera is. We self-sabotage. The Piagetna says, to see the world that we're describing, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not asking you to learn more to do I'm asking you, I'm asking you, stop self-sabotaging. Stop pulling the rug out from underneath yourself. And you have to hardwire your brain or reroute your brain, reroute the pathways to be able to think differently. There's a world that I really want to see so badly. Part one. Part two. I don't apologize for being repetitive, but we have to walk away with this. Part two. I'm not there yet. Part three. Why am I not there? I'm not there because my Averos distance me from the very thing that will allow me to see this entire world as it is. And so therefore, again, the Piaget says, keep reinforcing it. And what it does over time is, 
when tempted with Avera, I will say, am I going to resist the temptation? When tempted with Avera, am I going to resist? Maybe. maybe. That's the right answer. Maybe yes, maybe, maybe no. But at least there's a greater statistical probability that I'll be able to resist when I understand what the fallout of it is. See, I will say very often when we commit Averos, we do it because we don't really appreciate, understand, or, or, or even know like what the fallout of it is. So, okay, this, this is fun, this is enjoyable, this is nice right now, there's an immediate benefit. I don't see any real repercussions right now, go for it. But now, in my mind, the new way that I think, ultimately I recognize there is a repercussion, there's an immediate repercussion. So suddenly now, when tempted with, or when faced with the opportunity to commit an Aveira, I, I may still do it, but at least I'm going to think twice. Rebelli, what were you going to say? Say that again. Is there any difference between a low sase and a say? What do you mean? In terms, in terms of this, yeah, I mean, violation of a low sase is definitely worse than non-performance of an sase. You have something specific in mind you want to talk about? <laughs> you want to fill in the blanks over there? I feel, I feel like you're leading the witness. You know, like what do you? <laughs> Yes, yes. No, no. No. So, so, is this for a friend? <laughs> Ask you for a friend. No, so they're, 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 of course, yes. And I want to point out, Rebelli is bringing up an important point, which is obviously in the world of sin, in the world of sin, different taveros are going to be treated in different ways. So let's just finish up. He says, he says, So what ends up happening? So now something amazing happening. When I, I'm on page 34, third line down from the top. So I will say, when I begin to reinforce this manner of thought, and again, I keep on reinforcing the one thought that has the three different parts to it, then suddenly I begin to realize, you know what? I really am Kaddish at my car. I will say, this, this is like the most incredible thing. We spend our lives thinking that Kiddusha is something you have to acquire. And meanwhile, you don't have to acquire it. It's already there. Just stop getting in your own way. Just that, that's it. Just, just, just stop blocking it up. Just, st- just, just, just stop plugging up the Kiddush that's there. And I begin to see I'm always plugging it up. I'm always undermining myself. I'm always making bad decisions. And when a person reinforces this, he realizes the Kiddush is there. But it's the guf. It's the physicality which often goes ahead and makes me, makes me make bad decisions. The Chayvan Shatakov has a guf. And once you're able to subdue the body, I will say, look at that line. I'll say, you know, all I need to do is resist the temptation. All I need to do is reign in the physicality and the Kedusha comes out. Isn't that incredible, I We spent our whole lives thinking that Kedusha is something I have to acquire. You know, I don't have to acquire anything. It's all in me. I just have to stop plugging it up. It's like, it's like I have like this, it's like I have this gushing waterfall of holiness that is constantly trying to come up, right? And what do I do? I build a dam. I build a dam. Every Avera is, I build a dam. And so you dam it up enough, right? You forget that there was even a waterfall there. Yes. Uh, what, what you're saying, what the rod would, in my opinion, is you have Adam too. Who is the cultivator? The second who God blew into his nostril, made Kodesh, as opposed 
but it has the problem of Adam one who was supposed to conquer uh, the physical world. So I think I, I know that the Rav, you know, by, by the way, I think the Rav would have, who, who could not, you know, respect the Piagestia. Uh, but I think he's saying it in a different way. It could be. Yeah. It could be. Beautiful. So, we'll say, let's finish off this piece. He says, we'll say, This is a great way to end off for tonight. This is a great way to end off for tonight. So, remember again, so the Piagetna's telling me now, again, rerouting pathways of thought, rerouting thoughtfulness. I want to begin to think differently. And when you begin to think differently, what ends up happening? You begin to act. We'll say, I just want to point out, and then we're going to do this last line. You should know that in, in, in at least, at least in Hashkafa, there are two different, very opposite models of change. I mean, there are, there are many models of change. But I just want to point out what the Piaget is describing over here is cognitive, cognitively driven change. Change the way you think and you'll change the way you act. The Sefer Achinoch, on the other hand, advances an opposite model. He says, change the way you behave and it'll change the way you think. He calls it The way that you think is influenced by the way that you act. Who's right? Who's right? They're both right. And you need different things at different times. To me, the, what's so exciting about the Piagets, Nezrebosai, I've never tried this derech in my life before. My whole life, I've looked at myself as a broken utensil. Because I am a broken kli, right? I'm a broken kli. We even say it. We even say it in Yom Yom Noram. And, and I always look at that as, therefore, again, my goal is to acquire Kiddusha. The Piaget says, no, you already have it, which is such a beautiful thing to hear from the Rebbe. You already have it. You just have to stop damming it off. You have to stop blocking it off. And if you change the way that you think, then by definition, when faced with sin, which represents a distancing myself from God, at least... I'll think twice. I was look how he ends, but this will conclude. And, and Ramad, I think this reinforces kind of what we said last week also. Look what he writes. V'imlo tamid. That was I say, you know, you know what ends up happening. Like, we learn something like this, and right, you're all excited. You're all excited, right? Why are you all excited? Why am I all excited? Because like, all right, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the way that I think, right? And I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. That's it. It's going to be perfect from here on in. So look at the piece that says, you're probably still going to sin, right? <laughs> Look what he says. Even if you can't always do this, I'll call upon it. Also, listen to what he writes. What a line. The Piazesna says, even if you're not going to be able to do this all the time, if you're able to do it some of the time, you will have beautiful hours and beautiful minutes. It's not an all or nothing proposition. And I will say the pathway to change is filled with peaks and valleys. And I win some battles and I lose many battles. But just because you lose many of them, in no way diminishes or detracts from the beautiful wins that you have. And when you have a win, I will say, when you have a win, ultimately for that moment that you're experiencing that win, it's an incredible moment of aliyah. An incredible moment of spiritual celebration. So the Piyajasana says, if we address the way that we think, let's not fool ourselves to think that fundamentally we're never going to sin again. Everything is going to change. Maybe we'll get to a level like that. Maybe we will. But even if we do, it's certainly going to take a very long time to get to that level. But in the interim, we'll say, can you in the interim, in the interim, 
You know, say, I'll tell you something amazing that just happened to me. Some, someone, speaking with someone who, um, who was, um, person struggles with, uh, with a particular addiction about what, what he looks at. And, um, and the person was telling me that, whatever, he, the day before we met, um, he failed four times, gave in to his age four times, but one time he resisted. One time he resisted. One time he resisted. And it was incredible. And the person thought the way he looked at that was, I failed. I failed. Right? Because four times I gave in, one time I resisted. And the Piagetsna says, you didn't fail. Okay, you failed four times. But you succeeded once. And succeeding once is really meaningful. Succeeding once is absolutely incredible. Who says that spiritual growth is an all or nothing thing? You take the wins whenever they come. And so the Piaget's the saying, when you, we work to change our thoughts, when we work to change the way that we think, we should, halavai, we should get to the level where we permanently reroute those patterns of thinking. But until we get to that time, any win that you're able to get is a huge accomplishment. So we'll, so we'll stop over here for tonight. Once again, I think the Piagetsna just gives us just like a new, a new lease on life. We'll stop here for tonight. So no sheer next week. Um, and then Amir Sashem will continue. What's, what's the... March 16th. March 16th, Amir Sashem will say. So, and that'll give us two weeks before Pesach. So hopefully uh, we're going to do, right? I think two weeks before Pesach. All right, Amir Sashem will say. To be continued. Shkoya. Myrith. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank Mark. you. Good job, Good job. Good job. Good job.